Hello and welcome again to the Sonic Cloth. This is your boy here, Jamil, and we are here today with a writer, author, heavy metal and music enthusiast, uh, Daniel Lake. Dan's uh, just released a book that was over three years in the making. The title of that book is USBM, A Revolution of Identity in Black Metal. Uh, welcome, Dan, and, and thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Thanks so much for, uh, for inviting me. This is fun. Uh, I've checked out uh, several episodes of your podcast, which is so wide ranging that it's, it's really exciting to me. Oh, thanks. Thanks a ton. I'm running into this weird issue where I invite guests on the show from time to time um, just to have a break from just me talking and I'll, I'll go down a musical rabbit hole with them. But it tends to be always focused on metal when I have a guest on for some strange reason. Maybe it's subconscious or something. But I've had like four guests on now, including you, and three of them have been on to talk about like some form of extreme metal. I, I actually, I wanted to ask you and, you know, I don't know, maybe this is turning the tables on you a little bit, but I was wondering um, with with as much stuff as you cover on the podcast, like uh, where does where does heavy music, where does extreme metal sit in your listening tastes? It's fairly dominant. It's not the first music I fell in love with or anything like that. But I go through peaks and valleys with it. Um, and I know you go really deep with music, too. I mean, I, I imagine maybe you're, you're a lot like me in that, like, metal will always be something that you have a deep connection to. But you can't, like, be truly satisfied or, like, sufficiently, like, like fascinated by music unless you're, like, crisscrossing, like, all over the map, right? Yeah, yeah, all of it matters. Yeah, and then that's... That, I mean, this this podcast is really like stems from a place of like I, what I call like a mania, basically. <laughs> it's, it's so like, and and I've I've come across other people who are really similar to me in this way, um, and 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 it's like this fear of missing out on music and this constantly wanting to like uh, you know chronicle music and and catalog it and you know you just it's just like a bunch of interweaving like webs and and and. I don't know. It's, there's a lot of like fear that you're that you're missing something, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. That that fear of missing out. It's man. It it's not a pleasant thing for me to like say. Yeah, that's that's me too. But like, it absolutely is part of what draws me to where I am now. Yeah, it is. But I don't, there is something weird about metal and extreme music where like the the people who do categorize me as like some kind of music person, they tend to, it tends to be like the metal thing. And it's, I don't think it's because I like dress particularly metal or like I'm outwardly like, like a fucking metal dude or anything like that. But um, I think, I don't know, there's, there, there, that's just like the thing people really, really pick out and they're like, oh, metal. Cause no yeah. one, cause no one really likes that, you know? Yeah. I play all kinds of music uh, for my students uh, in, in the classroom, mm -hmm. but they, every single one of them when asked uh, what I listen to will always respond <laughs> metal. They'll never say jazz. They'll never say, uh, yeah, they'll, they'll never say any of the other stuff that that actually dominates what I will play mm -hmm. for them. Uh, because it's that one thing that they, I guess, can't figure out and don't understand how it's possible people listen to it. Yeah, so they just, that's the thing they point at. Yeah, another weird thing, like the way we sort of self-segment metal is like, like at the end of the year, if I have like a top albums list, I'll have that. Or if I think about my top 10 albums all the time, I don't think, I don't know. If it, maybe there's one metal album in there. Maybe one. Okay. Yeah. 
But like, I always will create a separate consideration or listing for metal as if it's like completely distinct from music or something yeah. like that. And it's just like, why do, why do we do that? That's so weird. There's my list and there's my metal list. Like it's all music. That is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's bizarre. But um, <laughs> I, again, I don't know why I keep wanting to talk about metal with guests. I don't know. I, there is something about metal that is extremely fun to talk to other people about in a way. And maybe it's just my like, not, that's where my knowledge base is so it's a comfort thing but um it's it's so fun to talk about metal with people so maybe that's another part of the reason why i keep doing this totally and going back to your book a little bit like what i think what i love most about the book really is um hearing like all these fixtures of the usbm scene you know like people like neil from krieg um or aesop from ludicra and agaloc adam from uh gilead media jeff from leviathan people like that who are like in, in, in the book, they're, they're, they're talking about discovering a band that you are, you know, the chapter is about um, that's being covered in the book. And maybe they're talking about hearing the record for the first time or seeing them play live for the first time. And I don't know. There's just something about like their excitement towards these projects that um, I don't know. You find it so exciting to hear them talk about the stuff that you have a context for and that's familiar. It's, it's almost like communal or affirming in a weird way. And I, I love that about the book. I think that, that that's like the, the little sweet spots in the book that happened for me. Yeah, man, getting that sense of community from uh, people whose own like musical output uh, is inspired and and you find enjoyable. Uh, that's that's awesome. I mean, that's what that's what I get out of doing a project like this book is I actually get to you know be on the phone and have multiple interactions with these people who are you know excited in most cases to share the music that has has been you know important for them um and and their own journeys yeah 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 it, it, it's really great i mean i've read probably like 90 percent of the book and maybe maybe before we we get into the book um can can you tell us like where we can pick up the book the publisher uh so the book uh came out on the decibel books imprint um which is named in part because of uh decibel magazine uh the monthly extreme metal um publication um i've been writing for decibel for almost 10 years uh and so yeah it was it, this was not a matter of me coming up with the book and, and putting all the work and effort in uh, and then trying to shop it around uh this was actually um a conversation that was had with with the people at decibel uh to create this thing so it was already you know it was ready to go i knew this was coming out on decibel books um so yeah, Decibel Magazine uh, is selling it at their website, decibelmagazine.com. I believe that is the only place uh, that you can get the book. Nice. Yeah, and it's I have a copy myself. It's a, it's a beautiful book. I recommend everyone uh, go out and get it for sure. And the, is there is the only other book in the Decibel book series the one that Albert wrote on death metal and crankcore, or are there others? No. Actually, now that you say that, I would have to look it up. I'm not even sure that Choosing Death is oh. a decibel books. It might not be. It might be Bazillion uh, Points or something. Uh, Bazillion Points put out an edition of it. Uh, Feral House, I think, oh, put right. out the, the original edition. Gotcha. Um, the, the decibel books have included things like um, uh, No Celebration, the Paradise Lost book that came out last year. Um, and uh, yeah, now I'm blanking. Uh, th possible. There have been other books, but yeah. Yeah, that was 
those are the most the most recent two are the Paradise Lost book and USBM. Gotcha. Yeah, I think I was just making the Albert connection there. Nice. <laughs> and assuming. Um, so yeah, I, I've I've read um, like ninety percent of the book. I did have to kind of I was getting close to the recording date, so I had to like skip some chapters that weren't relevant to like the track list just to get to where I wanted to go. But I, I honestly don't think I've read a book faster. Like even my partner was like, dude, you're like reading the shit out of this book. Like what you don't like, you always complain that it takes you like <laughs> way too long to read something like much, much shorter, um, anything like that. So uh, it was a, a book I couldn't put down. Um, and then, you know, as such, I, I really enjoyed it. I think it's a great read for anyone who's interested in black metal, anyone's interested in metal, anyone's interested in like very specific music scenes as well. Um, so maybe um, if you wouldn't mind, can you tell us a little about like what compelled you to write the book and and how you conducted the research for it? Like did um, obviously writing for Decibel and you probably had a lot of contacts in your, in your back pocket, I would imagine. Um, but like what, were you asking people different questions, like interview subjects, different questions? Um, how much were you like learning as you were writing the book versus like, oh, I already, I like, I already know how a lot of this stuff has, has worked out just by virtue of, of being naturally interested in this and also writing for Decibel. Yeah. So my interest in music is pretty, uh, pretty straightforward and basic, right? Like I'm interested in the music. It's what interests me about music is what the music does to me when it, you know, when it gets to me. Um, which means that I haven't spent a huge amount of time researching ahead of time all this all this music. Like, I, I know a couple guys who are deep into the the trivia of how music is created, uh, and you know they don't have to work on projects to go research this stuff, and that is all cool to me. And I mean, I've been writing about music for a while, so clearly that has become part of uh, what I do is is find these things out. Um, but I think when I get a new record to listen to, it's it's about what is happening in my brain and, and what that's doing to me. So, you know, I really was learning a lot. It, this was not something that I knew. I knew all the stories and I just needed to, you know, get the quotes and put them in the book. Um, I was looking for those stories. Uh, I was I was interested in, in hearing those things. Um, so, yeah, a lot of the music I was already uh, very familiar with. Um, certainly music post 2000, the, the music from the nineties, the, the USBM from the nineties, uh, was not something that I was paying attention to during the nineties. So I wasn't really around for it. And that was something that I had to do much more research on. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it was, it was a matter of like getting into the records, um, and looking up what I could find online, uh, whether that was, you know, the basics on, on metal archives, uh, or some interviews that had been done and then, yeah, cobbling together my own questions and, and the things that were interesting to me about, uh, these musicians, uh, and their bands and yeah, just hearing from them, uh, what, and, and then trying to transition that into not, not just what was interesting to me, uh, but what they thought was interesting. Yeah. about their work uh because if i could get them excited i think like we were talking about earlier if i could get them excited about what they were talking about mm -hmm. the conversation would just be more interesting yeah yeah i think that's 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 the best way to arrive at like genuine enth like enthusiasm for the for the subject material versus like anthologizing having it come out like this do music documentary kind of transposed to book kind of like thing as well and uh, that, that, that's why 
I mean, I think that's big reason why the the besides the book being like very well written, very well like organized and structured, and me having like you know some basis for some of these stories, like. I'm like you. Um, I don't know much about Vaughn. I don't know much about Black Witchery, um, Absu. Like I've heard these bands. I like some of them. Others, others go go right past me. Um, and maybe I know a little bit about like their the mythology, but it's really like groups like you know Ludacron, Panopticon, where I have like an inkling of like where they're coming from as artists because I've read an interview because I've seen them live or I have friends who know, who who are in bands who know them or something like that. But I don't know, you just really get like a true, a, the true essence of like how the bands like, you know, came to become what they were. And um, uh, I think it's more for the listener to sort of like understand or to make it a judgment about like what what their place is, if they're interested in that, in that conversation, you know, uh, although you're doing a lot of like, um, what I like also in, in a lot of the chapters is you're, you're kind of going by records. It's very like almost discography. Yeah, kind of like oriented. You mentioned, you mentioned structure, uh, and for a long time, I felt like the structure of the book eluded me. I, I didn't. I, I knew I wanted. I knew I needed to create some some arc, uh, some some kind of structure for the book, and I didn't see it. And I, I never. I I honestly believe that I, I still don't see. I still don't see the structure, uh, or I don't know how it came about. I think it all came because uh, I have two wonderful editors uh, who are able to mold what I handed them. I think, it make, I think it makes sense. I mean, there's, there's almost like a regional aspect to it, especially on the later stuff, because, you know, scenes kind of like stir themselves up and then become, become something that has like a, a, a something to say, yeah. at least, at least in the, in the U S I mean, I, I don't know if that's the case outside of it. Yeah, that regional aspect I think helped a lot. Yeah, yeah, and then and then that allows you to talk about a region uh, of the U.S. that had like a, say a defining band or two or three defining bands without feeling the need to cover like all of it. Like, if you look into if you start checking out Panopticon, you're probably going to come across like Obsequiae and Falls of Roros and, and stuff all like the, that. Yeah. Yeah, like we all we all know how to Google at this point. Like we can, <laughs> right, right. We can, well, we... and and honestly, for me, the internet was a huge force in how I came to find this music. Hmm. Um, you know, when I was first getting into heavy music, is around the time that, you know, not the internet as we know it today, but but not the earliest internet either. But you know, when most college students were using it, mm-hmm. that kind of time period. And so what used to be like people would buy a record and then scan the thanks lists for new things to buy. Um, I was, you know, picking something up and then I was looking at, you know, recommended uh, for listeners of Mm. blah, 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 blah. And then I was using that to like go find more stuff. Yeah. So much easier these days. I mean, it, it might even be incredibly accurate. Like to the to the point where like I don't know how many like how surprised you're gonna get. It's almost like you know street like a streamlined kind of thing. Well, and and I will say you say accurate, and that's it can be true. But I remember there was this one time I I started down a path uh, for a particular band and then stopped immediately. Uh, the the sticker on the record you know recommended for fans of it mm-hmm. listed like 
Neurosis, Mogwai, uh, Yezu, uh, like some really incredible bands. And so I was like, yes, yes, I'm, I'm buying this. The, the problem was, or what I felt the problem was, is that this band had sounds like those bands, but that's not why I like those bands. I like those bands because of the reaching that they're doing, mm-hmm. the experimenting and the, the, the trying to find new parts of themselves. Uh, and this band was, was doing none of those things. Yeah. It just kind of like their stuff. Yeah, it's like it would be like buying a very traditional Orthodox black metal album and then saying like it, like the sticker says like for fans of Mama League and it's like no, <laughs> no. like yeah. like if anything you should like pick up a Residence album and it says oh for fans of Mama League and you're like yeah, okay yeah yeah, yeah. that's that's much more like <laughs> that's gonna work out a lot better for me I think agreed um, so uh, you know. With the, with with my show with this with this thing, um, you know, as always, we put together a track list. Um, so Dan and I, uh, you know, we have more or less agreed on eight songs that we think might represent some corner of USVM. Um, there's no way to to fully like land this at all, and that doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but you know, as we embarked on this, I think I was leaning more uh, towards the stuff of the last 15 years, um, just because I was I was kind of like showing showing you first what i was interested in um so i think our our playlist definitely like hones in on a lot of the i don't know i'm gonna call it like post weakling kind of like music you know basically anything past 2000 2001 2002 but at the same time we're i think we're intentionally skipping over really big stuff like we're not we're not going to get into agalock we're not getting into wolves in the throne room panopticon or deaf heaven um we're 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 looking past that stuff you know Presumably, we're both fans of all that stuff. Um, so we should say, like, our playlist is really, like, eyeing more, I don't know, like, minor classics in the world of, of modern USBM. And well, I mean, like you said, we, we picked eight songs. There was no yeah. way that eight yeah, songs yeah. was going to represent uh, the scene at large. Uh, there are lots of um, examinations of this stuff. Yeah. Um, actually, I've heard of a, a great book about the scene. Anyway, my point is... <laughs> Um, like, uh, you know, this is, this is a few songs that, that we can get excited about. And, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's, uh, we're not trying to, to, to dive into everything. Just kind of, just kind of dabble right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, if you've never heard this shit before, then, um, you know, I think that this is, this is a a good place to start, but because there are going to be so many different moods and themes and sounds that you're going to hear all contained within here. Um, but you know, I think we re- we really blazed past a lot of the old school USBM. Um, I think they'll get brought up as we dig into this track list a bit. Um, you know, in terms of like classic USBM records, you know, like I said before, one that kept coming up in the book over and over was "Dead as Dreams" um, by the by the band Weakling. Um, it seems like so many bands, uh, you know, would say something like along the lines of like, "Yeah, I, I was liked metal a lot." Um, but then I heard Dead as Dreams. And and this is from like people who knew Emperor and the Scandinavian stuff. But it seems like Dead as Dreams, like just that album just hits people differently, presumably because it's American and it was released in the year 2000. I don't know. I was curious, like, would you agree that this album is like, it's almost like the pillar of USBM, like in, in a way? That's interesting. And there's so many different reasons why, like for, for one thing, it was, um, it was released after the band had already disintegrated. 
Yeah. So, so there's a there's a a mystical quality to the record, a mystique, I guess, to it that I think has always added to its um, uh, its value to the scene. Yeah. So, so if you take it, you know, just on musical quality, is it, you know, the U.S. black metal record that you have to hear? I don't know. It's damn good. Mm-hmm. Just on musical merits alone, it's damn good. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I think people gravitate toward it because, um, you know, the people making that music were not, they were not just black metal people. Uh, they came from different musical places. They they eventually went to very different musical places, and you can hear that deep in those songs, which is what I've always enjoyed about Weakling is that you can hear multiple styles and approaches to music going on in those layers. So I think people with a broad or with broad musical interests are going to be drawn uh, to what Weakling does. I would think that, you know, the early to mid 90s um, purveyors of black metal, of, of US black metal, probably don't think all that much of Weakling. Yeah. Oh, yeah, um, I'm sure. <laughs> b- because Weakling is, is false. It's not, it's, it's not all darkness and, and uh, occult demonology all the time. So. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And it's, it's, it's kind of funny, like thinking back, like, um, you know, John, who I think is one of the principal songwriters in Weakling. I don't know exactly how they wrote, but I mean, I've always gotten the sense that he's he's one of the main songwriters in that band. If like, if we are to, you know, presume that this is a, a, a pillar maybe, and, and, and like you're saying, it, it, I think the mythology of it plays a large part of that. Like John was like, so just not interested in in, in like contributing to the book, which like, it's this popular thing for like black metal musicians, especially in Scandinavia to be like, not reveal like themselves, like their, their human selves at all to, to, to anything. So it's, it, it well, was like a very black metal move. Yeah, and, and, and I would say it's, it's interesting. You, you say this conversation is going to skew post weakling. Uh, it's interesting that that might be the fulcrum because, you know, there are a lot more, U.S. black metal musicians after the year 2000 who are willing to engage at a human level than there are Mm. uh, black metal musicians from pre-2000. A a lot of those guys, um, they interact, they they still interact on this cult, dark, angry uh, level. And, and I don't want to say, look, maybe that is their human level. Maybe that's, that's who they are 24 seven. Um, but I found often the conversations with people who have been making music since then to be a little more open and a little, make a little more sense to <laughs> kind of the rest of us. Yeah. Do you think people tend to define USBM as like being a type of black metal that pulls from so many other genres in a way that like that is unique to America, like American black metal. Because I mean, these days, like you can hear European bands, South American bands, bands from all over that are like doing black metal and fusing it with X, Y, and Z and doing these zany things. But I mean, like, I'm curious, like how much, how much is, how much of that 
assumption is overstated because I think a lot of people take, do like, oh, it's the melting pot of America mythology. <laughs> like, of course, we're going to pull from all these things. And it's like, yeah, that could be part of it. But like, I don't know. Europe is like just as connected to, to stuff. You know, yeah. they had 90s rock and Smashing Pumpkins over there, too. Like, it's not that weird that like an American band is fusing those two. Black and is fusing those things. I don't know. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, yeah. is it something even worth thinking about? I don't even know. It's, it's, you're, you're right. This is good. I have thought about it a lot and it's not worth thinking about. So, no. yeah, that's all that's good. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, my argument is uh, not that that's uh, interesting about American black metal, but that it's a, it's a feature of black metal itself. I argue, mm. and I did this in a, a special issue article uh, for Decibel Magazine when Albert asked me to uh, to consider how death metal and black metal have taken different paths in the past 10 to 15 years. And I really struggled with having anything to, to say until I kind of stumbled on it, which I really do think people who make black metal are trying to, or they are striving to find something is, I don't know if new is the right word, but but, but they're digging really deep to create music. Um, and I don't mean to say that death metal is not that, but death metal has a sound that it's comfortable with. If you play death metal, a lot of people are really happy to just play death metal like death metal. Mm -hmm. And I think almost everybody who has ever played black metal is digging deep and they find black metal and then they find other things and they, they just follow whatever is interesting to them. Mm. Um, I would, I would say that black metal is hard to listen to. You, you don't make black metal, I, I would think, you don't make black, black metal uh, to appeal to anyone. Yeah. Um, you're, you're making it because it's what is interesting to you in the moment. And if you're a restless artist, that moment won't always last all that long. Mm -hmm. um, and so you'll strive and find something else and, and that'll become part of your music. Um, so anyway, I, I would I would say that, that that's a black metal thing overall. Yeah, no, I like that. And 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 it as you were talking about that, it made me think there are like on the flip side of that, I, there are so many uh, bands that start off black metal that have huge like big illustrious careers and like they abandon the black metal within like five years, ten years of their career. And I don't think that this happens a lot with other other as much with other subgenres of metal. I mean, I'm not like tallying it i don't know it's just like my sense you know what i mean it's like a lot yeah. <laughs> black metal gets abandoned pretty easily too yeah i mean to, you know to a certain extent some death metal is comfort food yeah uh whereas black metal might be uncomfort food um and and yeah you a lot of people there's a huge number of black metal musicians who have then like you just said gone on to like uh do a lot of electronic experimental stuff or um uh, acoustic stuff uh so yeah yeah more like mood explorations yes. um so the, the last thing i had before you would jump in the track list is um i i really liked the coda that you had at the end of the the book um and the chapter prior to that is titled uh, california's innovative second wave and it covers stuff like black twilight circle mama leak um flenzer kind of roster stuff um, and obviously, I think there will always be like USBM that isn't doing anything really innovative, um, but it's just constructed so well. 
and 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 that in and of itself is going to attract an audience and everything but i don't know do you think like some of these more outsider type bands like do they represent the future of usbm or is is the future of it perhaps like in these bands that don't really have much connection or much to say about black metal it's just kind of like a it's one of the colors in their in their in their painting uh toolkit and um you know a lot of these seem like people that don't even uh, identify with it as a lifestyle or as like any kind of encompassing persona at all. Sure. I mean, if, if the future of black metal were to be, to be, were to become just one of the, the colors on in the palette, um, then, then that would be no future at all. It would get mm. so diluted as to uh, not be noticeable at some point. Yeah. Um, I think, the only way that black metal itself as a genre can have a future is if there is always this tug between the two poles. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, the people who are making, who are, <laughs> who hate anybody with any other musical instru- interests. Um, You're saying are, we need those people? We, we absolutely <laughs> need those people. Okay. Uh, uh, and I, I love hateful sounds. Uh, I love darkness and and spitting bile and evil and, and i love things to, to to strike me at different levels too so i, I personally need all of all, everything along that spectrum mm-hmm. um and i hope that uh that all of that will continue yeah yeah i do too i mean i i, I definitely agree i think there's plenty of room for both of those things to exist and and within within them they're their their own like arenas that 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 can progress or regress or spit out the same shit as much as much as possible like i'm i'm fine i'm fine with it all yeah um all right well um i think we're we're pretty ready to get into this track list um i'm going to warn the audience that uh a lot of these be some long ass tracks so um just (laughs) be forewarned um, and I'll also say, you know, if you just if you listen to the uh, the talking parts and you skip ahead of the music, um, I, I'm going to declare you as a poser and completely false. Um, I'm hoping I'm hoping Dan can can back me on that one, but don't don't feel like you need to. <laughs> Wait, there's going to be music. Who listens to that stuff? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or you know what? If you want to skip the talking and just listen to the track, that is the right way to go, man. Yeah, who cares what these two think about that shit? <laughs> But uh, <laughs> is there anything else you want to hit on before we kind of get into these tracks, Dan? I mean, I, I think we'll be able to flesh out a lot, a lot more stuff during the as we talk about this stuff. Yeah, no, let's let's do it. Okay, we're gonna start this thing off with uh, Cobalt, the Mighty Cobalt. Um, the song is Two Thumbed Fist. Um, this one is from the album Gin. Uh, you picked this one, I believe. Yes, indeed. Um, and this is a 2009 album released by Profound Lore Records, who I think we'd both agree is a, kind of a crucial label um, in this world. Um, so so why, did, why did you go with Cobalt? Why did you go with the song, this album? Like, what does Cobalt uh, represent to you, mean to you? Well, I think Gin is a near-perfect record from beginning to end. So that's part of it. Um, but I also might be biased. So Cobalt was just like rising to prominence uh, around the same time that I was getting really serious about heavy music. 
I'd been listening to it for like almost 10 years at that point, but just kind of, it, it was there. I didn't, I didn't know what I was hearing. I just kind of, it was around. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like profound lore might've been the first record label, maybe other than the neurosis guys, their, their record label and relapse Pro- profound lore was one of the first record labels that I uh, got really excited about. They were releasing stuff by Alcest Mm-hmm. uh portal kralis uh so so then yeah they they released eater of birds by cobalt uh and that really connected with me that record i thought was awesome um and then they put out the uh the this ep that so eater of birds has um these little these little segments of music in between some of the songs uh called ritual use of fire Mm-hmm. and ritual use of fire was uh a much longer like like 40 or 45 minute recording uh sound recording anyway so profound lore released an ep with the longer the full ritual use of fire on it which i thought was great i you know it's not something i go back to a lot but i, I thought the idea of it was great anyway so by the time gin came around i was super primed mm-hmm. <laughs> to love cobalt and they did not disappoint um, so this is, you know, this is a major band in my my own musical growth. Yeah, they're they're one that I discovered um, pretty early on. I think I, I think I discovered them right around Jen because that album was getting a, a, a good amount of press. And I did the same thing you did, where I I landed at some point on Profound Lore, and I was just like finding that I loved like nine out of ten of their releases were like incredible or like really good. Um, and that all my almost all of my favorite metal was coming out on this label. Uh, you know, Cobalt, they're from Colorado. Um, they're, they're really super interesting, um, you know, in the book, like not just because of the story of Eric and Phil, but, um, you know, I don't know that they've ever been a, a straight up black metal band, right? That's interesting. So Phil definitely comes from a black metal ethos with Grimness and Shroud. Yeah, um, that's definitely his thing. Um, and, and I think they did kind of start out interested in making black metal records although yes eric you know eric will talk about how you know danny carey from tool yeah is you know his major drum inspiration yeah you can uh, you can hear it although yeah. he's like he's like um he's like a punk rock danny carey or like uh or i've <laughs> yeah. even thought of him as like a more metal like uh jason from neurosis you know oh okay or yeah something. okay i don't know he just seems to yeah. fit somewhere in there if i have those, to those tempos those uh those exercises uh, are all there yeah but there's a lot of sludge in their sound um a lot of like progressive elements in those like especially on this record those super eerie interludes oh man this is just like (laughs) this album gin just exudes like a a darkness that is not it's not like customary to black metal and i don't even think it's customary to most metal at all yeah yeah i feel like one of the things i think i said to somebody was that if you if you took neurosis and rewound them so so somehow they were playing electrified music in the 1920s or 30s uh it might be cobalt (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) yeah and um you were talking about like eater of birds like that's a really that's a very nasty album i would say i mean it has blast beats it's it's pretty like stirs up like a lot of like you know violence i would say that is on gin but um, not as present. I mean, Jin is like kind of more festering, more brooding. I would say this 
cobalt has like a broody side to them too. That's very awesome. That I love. Um, and I, 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 I was listening to Jin not that long ago, like a week ago. I don't think it's got a single blast speed on it. Sure. Well, and keep in mind that Eater of Birds and uh, before that uh, War Metal uh, were written with Phil McSorley around. He, mm-hmm. he was around for the creation of those records. Uh, Jin was created while he was overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric wrote that entire record himself. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's, I'm sure there are differences because of, um, I mean, certainly what they had already put to record, uh, put, put on a recording, but, but yeah, just because Eric was entirely in charge at that point. Yeah. Phil seems, seems to really bring like knowing his story and a little bit about him, like bring in that bludgeoning, yeah. <laughs> like sort of <laughs> man must survive like primal kind of shit. <laughs> um and then and then i think maybe both of them come together on the on the on sort of like the the feeling of the music being steeped in like an a nihilism or like abandoning the world it's just it's just like so there's just like such a snarling kind of band that and then that's what reminds me of black metal more than the music yeah agreed it's like a black metal application to to those feelings um, yeah those those guitar tones really have a black metal thing mm-hmm. going on inside them yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and I think there's there's only like a handful of bands that can pull something like that off. I mean, I'm thinking of bands like Lord Mantis and Indian and Hell, the the Doom band from Oregon, like Today's the Day. Like it's that kind of like, I think it's that kind of savage, like genre blending heavy music that I, 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 I relate them way more to that than I would at like anything that's like yeah. straight up black metal. Yeah, you just listing those, uh, those artists mean that i have i ha- now I, I have another playlist to listen to right after this is- <laughs> but it there's that part in your book too where um you're talking to blake from nakmistian and i think he's saying he's talking about chicago and he's talking about how the sludge bands in chicago are way more grim and depraved like on a personal level than any any of the black metal that's ever come out of chicago <laughs> yeah i mean but you listen to that shit and you're i totally agree with him yeah yeah, and, and and I don't know, like Cobalt's, you know, they're not they're not a Chicago band, but I don't know, I I, I place them there as like a, a well, candidate for that particular slice of USBM where the music doesn't need to be like quintessentially black metal for it yeah. to be like that savage, you know. Well, there's crossover there with uh, Charlie Fell. Uh, oh yeah, who you know also plays in uh, Lord Mantis and yeah. Right, right, and so that the the last Cobalt album, Slow Forever, featured. Um, him on vocals after the the split between Phil and Eric, right? Yeah, yeah, he works. He works. I th- I mean, do you like him on that album? Do you think he he works out well? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, a good record. I, <laughs> yeah, I was recently I was recently yelled at by text. Uh, another <laughs> dude from uh, Decibel. <laughs> he read the book and he was like, "Slow Forever is is way better than you think it is." It's like, all right, all oh, right, wow, <laughs> oh wow, okay. I don't know. I'm, I'm gin unbeatable for me from Cobalt. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, is there anything else uh, you want to get into with Cobalt? No, let's let the people hear it, man. All right. So this is once again, two thumbed fist by Cobalt. <laughs>
Okay, this next one is from the group Liturgy. The track is called Red Crown from the album Aesthetica. So this came out in 2011 from Thrill Jockey. Interesting. I think this is maybe right around where they were starting to pull in some metal stuff. Yeah, you're right. My only connection to Thrill Jockey is through their their metal stuff. So like, yeah, I I wish I had more to say about that. Uh, But you're right that they are not a metal label, but they have put out some really interesting crossover type stuff. Yeah, I mean, they're they're one of these labels that's kind of there's no one style of music that, that that encompasses them other than really experimental and and out there stuff that is still rooted in like rock in some way. Yeah, they, they um, put out some cool noisy Japanese stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they've put out uh, some great stuff with the body. Yeah, yeah, they've been with the body for a long time. Um, so this is a, a liturgy is a, a Brooklyn band. It is led by Hunter Hunt Hendricks. Um, there's sort of been a revolving cast of musicians around Hunter, from what I can tell, right? And and I actually featured like liturgy on a on a previous episode of mine. Um, that was not about metal. It was about ecstatic music. So like I was I was placing liturgy in the same world as like Joshua Abrams, Colin Stetson, Horse Lords, like this kind of thing. Um, you know, the, this very hypnotic, repetitious focus on focuses on rhythm and sort of like kind of like trancing yourself out in the in these rhythms um, versus like putting it in a heavy metal context. What's more is like uh, I did an episode just prior to that one, Ecstatic Music, where I'm like, it's a part one that explored some of like the original, what I think of like the original purveyors of ecstatic music. So stuff like Popol Vuh, Master Musicians of Jujuka, Glenn Branca, that kind of thing. And I really wanted to make the case that like this kind of cacophonous guitar and drum bass music can totally be like ecstatic. And that's where I see at least some of what liturgy is doing, occupying that space, especially like as it pertains to Glenn Branca, who I'm fairly sure is like an influence on, on liturgy, um, at least the earlier stuff. So, uh, you know, obviously like liturgy has a lot of philosophies and like scavenged musical ideas that are being brought into their sound. But I don't know. I thought of them in that context way before I thought of them about them in a black metal context, to be honest. That's really interesting. Uh, and, and I'm sure that Hunter would be pleased to, to hear you say that, because uh, I don't think she uh, is all that interested in placing liturgy as a black metal band, although um, definitely told me that they're especially in the first two records, uh, music for which was written all kind of during the same time period, there's a, there's a heavy black metal influence. And, and black metal was an important factor in creating that music, but, but, but far from being the only factor. And, uh, and I, I think she probably feels very little connection to what any of the 1990s USBM bands yeah would would talk about i just don't i just don't think she she feels any connection to that really at all totally and and this track that you picked i haven't listened to this album forever but i i fucking loved this album when it came out um for me like when i was listening to this i was just like the drumming like what is it greg that's on the side on this one oh i have to sorry i'd have to look this up it's all right yeah i I think it is but i I can't be 100 sure i I could definitely be wrong someone can correct me on this but i think it's him and and what he's doing i just kind of like marvel at just how like almost like groundbreaking like this this stuff is like just on a rhythmic level like i think i think people who like throw on liturgy for the first time or the first few times they're only going to hear like 
rabid screaming and like this queasy, uncomfortable sort of screeching guitars. And there's, you know, on this record, there's not that much uh, variation on the album in terms of how the guitars are being played. There's a lot of monotony. Yeah. Which, which like you said, focuses you on the rhythms, um, which I do think is part of what liturgy is supposed to be about. Um, you know, this idea of the burst beat uh, mm-hmm. that was um, explored um, in that that infamous uh, manifesto. That yeah, people, that people uh, make fun of a lot, but is like right. that beat kicks your fucking ass. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, well, also, <laughs> I think Hunter has made it clear that like there's a connection to her between um, extreme metal and like beats in experimental hip hop. Hmm. And that that nexus is really what's interesting. Uh, and, and I think liturgy goes there in cool ways. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You hear, you hear that in, in the later liturgy stuff, more maybe more overtly. But it's mm-hmm. also like similar to Dark Thrones classic albums. I mean, yes, like there is not much variation in terms of how the guitars are being played on Transylvania Hunger and a lot of their classic albums and even the rhythms. But, uh, you know, with, in this, with this album, like, you don't really hear like full bodied chords ever really being played like uh, barely anything you'd call a riff. Instead, it's like this relentless, like harmonic style of playing where the guitars sound like they're like perpetually like ascending or going into like these spirally kind of passages. And and to me, that has like very little to do with metal and, and way more to do with like swans or sonic youth, although not completely like just influenced by that. And, and then you get to like a track on the album called like, like the track Veins of God. And it's the only thing on the whole album pretty much that's like metallic um, and, and has like a real riff to it. And it's kind of a straightforward song. Like it almost sounds like a beefier like Pelican kind of thing. But the fact that you've been like, you've heard these burst beats and this guitar, the monotonous guitar playing, like when this track comes in, it hits you so fucking hard. And this is something that I also see the band Kralis do who I would say gets maybe the most compared to liturgy sometimes. There's there's some kind of comparisons there Um, and vice versa. I've seen the Krauss guys describe this too before where the two guitars and the bass are like spending the bulk of the song playing these like interweaving riffs that are like often very disharmonic, like sort of relationship. And then uh, when the guitars break from that and they're all in like the same place at the same time doing this very straightforward, almost caveman-y kind of thing and playing in unison. And it's just like deeply intense, deeply satisfying like moment that makes like, you know, the the hairs on on your neck stand up. Like, I love that these two bands do stuff like that. Yes. Yeah, it's incredible. So, I mean, I mean, if you take a lot of like the manufactured like stigma and like the false metal bullshit, like behind liturgy, like, I don't know where, where how important is liturgy in the, in, in this world? Um, because they are like, you know, one foot in one foot out, probably don't even care about it at all. But I, I do feel like they're going to be an influential ba- band in this, in, in the world of like black metal and heavy uncompromising music, if they're not already. Yeah. Because specifically, I mean, you mentioned earlier, like that some of these bands point toward a future for black metal and you know, I, I think liturgy does that. I think if you're going to be an influential band, you're going to have to be reaching beyond whatever the basics are. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are very few bands who are considered influential who 
you know, stick to something really simple. They've, they've done something at least what in whatever time period they were doing it, that was more interesting, mm-hmm. or more varied. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree with you that, that liturgy is likely to be a, a touchstone later on. Yeah. And, and I mean, this is a, kind of a, it's kind of a dumb reference, but like on Spotify, I was, I was looking up liturgy and I l- clicked on related artists. None of them were metal. I mean, none, none of them. And I, and I, presumably Spotify, this is based on what other people who listen to liturgy are, are also listening to. It was shit like more mother and lightning bolt. And like the body was like the most metal thing there. And that's like, that's the body. They're, they're completely their own thing. And, and like, weird hip hop and weird noise rock and stuff like that and like classical neoclassical. So like, I don't know, that might tell me something about like who is listening to liturgy and how little they probably care about metal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I have nothing to add to that. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> They're both like a part of this USBM shit and like n- not at all.
okay, this next one is from the band Obsequie. Am I saying, is that how you say it? Uh, I, <laughs> sure. I, the, I could be butchering this. Point, I'm not sure that I've ever heard Tanner pronounce it to me. Um, <laughs> really? So, so we can say it however we want. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Obsequie. Um, against all feudal lords. This is the name of the track. This is from the Overgrow to Overthrow compilation that came out this year, I believe. Yes. Uh, with the, yeah, it came out uh, in the late spring, early summer of 2020. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amidst all of the um, protests for, for in defense of Black Lives um, after okay. the George Floyd killing. So this is a comp put out by Bindrun Records. Um, it benefits Black Lives Matter and Life After Hate. Um, and this is like an overtly anti-racist, anti-fascist comp um, featuring bands from all over the heavy music spectrum, I would say. So um, uh, why did you go with this one? Um, is there a reason why you, why you pick, picked it from this particular comp or is it just like all about the song? And is it been, how is Bindrun also like, uh, important to USBR. Sure. I, I mean, I, I think I chose this song because it it does show off all the things that I, I love about uh, Obsequie. I, uh, I am impressed by the comp. I, I think it's a very cool thing that all of those bands, you know, got together and participated in. And, and I, I love the fact that uh, I guess I was talking to Austin from Panopticon uh, and he was saying that he was so excited when he got this song uh, for this for this comp from Tanner, uh, and it was called "Against All Feudal Lords." And he was like, "Yes, that's, <laughs> that's exactly the song I want from Tanner." Yeah. Um, and it's so great. It's the the uh, the clean guitar melodies, those leads. Uh, it it sounds old to me, and I man, I feel like Tanner would be frustrated by me saying this that like. Uh, th- that the medieval sound leaks into his songs. I- I- I'm not sure that he always feels that way and-, and maybe feels like people put that on him as kind of a gimmick. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really does feel old to me, even though it's electric. Uh, something ancient comes through uh, those those melodic choices. I think that all three of his full-length records are, are extraordinary. Um, but I think this song kind of shows off all that stuff. I, I love Bindrune. I, I love that label and have ever since, I think I was, I was getting into Blood of the Black Owl mm-hmm. um, and uh, Celestial. I've, I've been deeply interested in, in the Bindrune label. And so to see them put out this particular compilation for this particular purpose, yeah, it, it's meaningful. It's it's pretty huge. It's it's, it's pretty awesome to see. Yeah, I mean, Bindrun is a label that's just overflowing with like quality quality bands, and I think there the, the emphasis in that label is on black metal. But you'll you'll find you'll find all kinds of stuff there, and it is probably overt. Almost all American artists, if I mean, there's, I'm sure there's some exceptions, but most of the yeah. time, right? Yeah, there are there are a couple exceptions, but but you're right. I think the vibe they're going for often comes from American artists. That kind of regression. To, nah, that's not even the right word, but like like connection to the natural world mm-hmm. Big um, time. and an attempt to see uh, humanity as as 
part, it's one thread in a greater whole uh, rather than, you know, egoistic music pounding away kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which is very, which is very at, at war with like some of the attitude, the Scandinavian bands, you know? Sure. Sure. Um, and, and it's interesting because, you know, it's, it's like you're saying, like, I think a lot of people might say they're like European sounding or something, but it, it, they're not like emulating black, like European black metal bands or something like that. I think they just have a genuine like interest in medieval music and scales and themes. And it's from in the book, like reading your interviews with Tanner, like this is something that's like, it's not a hobby. Like it's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's very studied. It's not kitschy. It's not Renaissance fair kind of metal. There's so much of that that comes out of Europe. That's like cartoonish. I um, mean, this is very sweeping, very like vast. It's very like forlorn kind of black metal. I mean, I, it doesn't sound like early enslaved, but it, it it's like, um, it's like the way that enslaved was channeling like their own you know, a certain folklore in an ancient past in a deep way. That's not just the veneer and aesthetic. Like the folklore is massively important to the artists. You know, it reminded, it reminded me like some of that early enslaved stuff. That's really interesting. I don't know that I had thought of that, but I totally agree with you. Yeah. That that's very cool. Um, I, yeah, I actually, th there's a lot about obsequia that is not any kind of traditional black metal. Yeah. But then man, when his vocals come in, it's like, Oh, Oh, okay. Those that sounds like black metal to me. <laughs> and is that is that Tanner on on vocals? Yeah, yeah. kind of does every most everything. I saw them live at um, Migration Fest in um, Olympia. Very cool. Yeah, were you were you there by chance? No, um, that was the first migration. Is that right? No, it was like the second one the second. after like several years of not doing it before it yeah. went to Pittsburgh. Yeah, so I went to the one a couple years later in Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah, and and there's a lot of like I, I remember it's a lot of the same bands because that was yeah that was the first one they did where it was uh, Gilead Media and Twenty Bucks Spin kind of coming together, so like you had like seventy percent of the rosters of both those labels like playing. I remember I remember watching watching Obsequia play. I'd never heard them before, and and me and my buddy were just like entranced by the music. I mean, the whole venue was Migration Fest is a diverse roster. But like that is the band that sticks out from all the other ones, like just because they're bringing a, a like a, a spirit of metal and 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 this folklore that is just it's so different. I think it's generally not considered cool, like I, at I all. Mean, <laughs> like not that that's relevant, really. But like, yeah, I'll be honest. My my overall impression again because I teach high school students. My overall impression is that none of this music is none of it is cool. Of course not. Cool. Uh, so, you know, go for what, whatever matters to you. Right. But I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is something your, your students could latch onto more so than like Gorgoroth. Sure. You no, know? sure. it's so melodic. It's beautiful. It's complex. Like every single note is masterful. I mean, I don't know that they're like going to be listening for all that shit, obviously like right. the kid, the kids. But, um, I think this, this brings out a side of metal that is like rooted in, you know, some sort of like pre-modern thing. I was going to say glory, but I mean, Against all feudal lords, like, you know, yeah, right, right. <laughs> this is not romanticizing of, of those times. <laughs> well, and there's something about the way the guitars are played that they, it sounds different to me than the way they're played. Otherwise, it sounds like something chiming hmm. um, rather than being, you know, strummed or picked. And that chiming sound is part of what makes it feel older to me. 
yeah yeah, yeah and then you got have all the harp like interludes yeah. on on yeah. the albums too sometimes so i mean it's a, it's a very like uh it's a very like calming calming metal album i i think <laughs> but yeah that's the first time i've heard this track i loved it too i thought it was great um is there anything else we want to get to with, with obsequie i mean i mean there's obviously a panopticon connection and yes. whatnot i mean people can pick up the book and, re- and read you know re- you'll read the obsequie and panopticon sort of um chapters back to back um those two are really good friends from what it, what it seems like that's right Cool. Well, okay. Well, let's listen to Against All Feudal Lords from Obsequie. Um, highly recommend picking up um, a digital copy of this uh, comp. Um, again, it's the Overgrow to Overthrow compilation on Bind Rune Records. <laughs>
right next up is the band Woe, uh, spelled W-O-E. This is the track called Unending Call of Woe from Hope Attrition. This album came out on Vendetta Records 2017. And, you know, of all the, the tracks you threw my way, I think this is the band that I have the least amount of um, familiarity with. Um, but uh, I did really enjoy reading about Woe in, in the book. Um, why did you choose this track? Uh, what can you tell us about uh, Chris Grigg, the, the main force behind the band and, and, and Woe in general? Yeah, Chris Grigg was one of my earliest interviews for the book. Um, I loved talking to him. I love that guy. <laughs> I think I think that guy is amazing. Um, he also has a connection to Krieg because uh, he's he's played for that band. So I I also think so. Hmm, I'm trying to think. His second full length record, um, quietly undramatically, was coming out again around the time that i was like just diving headfirst into every bit of metal that i could listen to mm-hmm. um so woe sticks out to me as uh being important even though uh, after talking to him and listen to listening to you know everything uh in the woe discography um I, I feel like that time period is a little strange for the band um that 2010 to 2013 2014 ish era um, was a little tough for the band. I think his first full length record, um, a spell for the death of man um, is killer. I I think that record is amazing. And then I think his next two records have good ideas, but, but struggle a little bit. And the reason I chose unending call of woe is because it's the first track on the record. Um, Oh my gosh. Hope Attrition. Hope Attrition. Yeah. Uh, that, that record, like he, he finds it again. Mm-hmm. He finds stability in the music. Uh, he knows what he wants. He knows how he wants it. He's working with people he really trusts and he creates this record. Hope Attrition, I think is, I mean, if you want somebody to hear what us black metal has to offer, that's like hand them this record and mm-hmm. that will like hit them in all kinds of cool ways. Um, oh, man, also, I feel so shitty for having neglected it. <laughs> <laughs> but like uh, uh, Lev uh, from Kralis is drumming uh, with them on that yeah. record. Um, so there's, there's that connection too. And honestly, so I, I was given the opportunity to uh, review Hope Attrition for Decibel Magazine. And so I knew the band, I knew kind of what I was getting into, but I'll be honest, the record before that called Withdrawal, I had not really enjoyed that much. So I was a little hesitant heading into Hope Attrition and then Hope Attrition ripped my head off and I loved it. And I think this, this first song off that record, it has like three minutes of the first three minutes of the song are, are just instrumental. Um, and that all that's great. And it all sounds amazing. And then the vocals come in and it's this roar that is immediately like, it like grabs my face and like roars into my face, which I love. Uh, it's so, it's so commanding. It's incredible. So yeah, that that's why I picked this. 
that's definitely the thing that stuck out to me the most was the vote like the vocals like it sounds like it's coming from like a punk rock like hardcore kind of like place like that attitude and i don't know at first it kind of reminded me like some of like the negative hardcore bands like stuff like cursed and like tragedy and early neurosis and stuff like that but um I don't know. I think that a lot of that is because of the vocals, which are like, obviously, like you said, like super impassioned. Like, this guy's been through some shit. You just know it. <laughs> there's there's no way you can fake something like that. And there's just so much energy and raw emotion in Woe's music. And, and, and I ended up listening to this whole record. It's just so well-crafted. Like the songwriting chops are just so great. It's not like this super experimental thing like liturgy it's not drowning you in like this creepy atmosphere like leviathan or something like that like it's it's fine-tuned heavy music that's pulling primarily from black metal but like bypassing the grim scandinavian thing um if i'm trying to like fit this into an american prism here i think it's like the the you know from reading the book like these themes of loss and fear and despair that are stemming from like the more miserable feudal aspects of like american life like not just life, like certain aspects of this country. And, 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 and I think that might be coming through in the music based on like what I was reading. So, you know, without even being political at all, like if you look around at our society and you see a lot of like hate and like turn that outward instead of inward, like in the way that black metal does, you get this sort of furious thing that woe does so well. Um, I'm really glad I found this. I, I, I loved it. That's cool. Yeah. I, you know, when I listen to the record, like you said, it's not experimental. It's not, there's not a lot of different things that it's trying to do or, or fit into the recording. And since I tend to like things that go out of bounds, uh, you know, one of the things I ask myself is what is it? What, what am I hearing in this that excites me so much? And I just think it's just damn well constructed. Yeah. Like it just, it's just done really, really well. And somehow, somehow the music also rocks in mm-hmm. a way that a lot of black metal, especially when it's depressive or, or whatever, it, it doesn't, it, it's not interested in that aesthetic. Uh, and actually I kind of feel like that's where um, the, the middle couple of woe records uh, struggle is, is because Chris has this rock element to the way he thinks about music. Um, but he was trying to make music that wasn't that and didn't include that. And it's this weird push pull mm. when, when he allows his music to be black metal, but also just rock the hell out. Um, man, it, it's powerful. Yeah. It's like, he can't help but write that way because yeah. of, because of where he's coming from. That was, that was another thought I had was, of all of everything we've listened to, like this is what I think would sound. I would want to see this band live, like in a in a small room. I think that this is a this is the kind of music that like you 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 listen to on recording, and you're like, "Fuck, I want to see this band live so bad." You know, yeah. I don't listen to Prison of Mirrors by Zaster and be like, "I want to see that live." I'm almost <laughs> like, this is just something is shrouding me, and it's incredible. Like it's so crazy and so great, but like it's not going to get my blood boiling the way this, the way this does. Yeah, right. No. Uh, do they, do they have uh, a record since Hope Attrition or is this their, their last one? They did an EP. Uh, I think, I don't know if it was the following year or, but anyway, they, they did a, a short EP that has some cool songs on it. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's it. They also contributed to the um, overgrow to overthrow comp, uh, a demo, I think. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, no full length record since th- this is their most recent full length. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's go ahead and listen to "Unending Call of Woe" by Woe. <laughs>
Okay, next up is uh, the band Volan from Southern California. Uh, get ready for some shitty pronunciation. This is track is called Halhi Kohoba um, from the from the album uh, Akabal. And this is a 2015 album. Um, it was put out by the Ajna Offensive, um, but also Crepusculo Negro, the, the primary label of Black Twilight Circle. And man, this one is special to me. <laughs> I love I love this uh, I love this band. I love this album especially, and I love like this this entire crew of like dudes of, of musicians. Um, so, so I don't know what, what, what's your familiarity with, uh, with these guys, because you did, you did have a section in the book about black twilight circle. Yeah. And, and actually, you know, I'll talk a little, but I want to turn that right back around on you. And and I'd love to hear your, your path to this stuff and, and what your, what your interest in it is. Um, but like, yeah, I, I feel like these guys are really, really important. If you're going to talk about us black metal, this is huge. The Black Twilight Circle happening in Southern California is really meaningful um, for lots of different reasons. I could not get in contact. <laughs> I tried, literally tried for the, the full like two and a half years that I was, you know, working on this stuff. I think I sent a dozen and a half emails mm-hmm. to people trying to various people trying to get somebody uh, to check in with me. Um like I said, just because I think they're really important. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not. Well, they've I, never, have they ever done anything with Decibel? Like. I don't know that they have. I know that somebody wrote a piece about the Black Twilight Circle, um, maybe 2014. Mm-hmm. But I, I honestly don't know if that, if anybody was quoted for that piece. I would yeah. have to go back and look. But so I got to review this Volon record for decibel and in that review i said that like i feel i feel kind of bad for being as greedy as i am and wanting to hear all the music from this scene uh these guys clearly think that their scene is for them uh that that they make music for themselves for people within their community they distribute it in a you know very very small circle and so I guess I felt a little bad for wanting to inject myself into all that, but yeah, there's so much good stuff there. And I just, I, I just want to bathe in it. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and the fact that I can't, you know, I'm, I, I don't necessarily think it's the fact that I can't, that makes me want to even more. I, I just, uh, I, I think it's really important stuff. I think it's really important music made by really talented people. Um, I think there, I mean, there are what like two dozen different band names uh yeah. that like five guys maybe are, are all making yeah uh, really cool stuff yeah and that section because i'm thinking back i'm like did you talk to anyone from there and i was like no i i think you just had other black metal you know people who are covered in the book like talking about them yeah like jeff whitehead uh aesop decker yeah uh, these are the people who, who who could talk to me some uh with 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 some level of familiarity on that stuff because they had some little bit of contact with them even 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 i mean they're in the same they're musicians like yes you know they're colleagues in a lot of ways and even they even their interactions with them are very like tertiary and like <laughs> well like I, I love i love jeff's story where he's like 
so I wrote this guy and I was like, I think your music is really cool. Uh, and I'd like to buy something from you. How can I do that? And then like a week later, a box of CDs just showed up at his door. <laughs> and he was and he and he wrote back, he was like, That's so cool, man. This is great. I love it that you're very cool. Uh, just uh, let me know uh, how I can pay you and I'll, I'll get you some money for this. And then like a week or two later, uh, more stuff showed up at his door. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like it's a totally weird, like, you know, they're not, they're, they're happy to work with people who, uh, who they appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, it's all, it's all really hermetic. Yeah. And I, I do remember like seeing on message boards and stuff. Some people were having issues like mail order with them and stuff like that. Although I ordered a shitload from them a few years ago and I, I always got everything. So I don't know. I just got lucky or something like that. Um, but I mean, even, even at one point, like I think Aesop's like that, that, that group of human beings is are a fucking mess, but like, <laughs> God damn, are they incredible? And I also love what Aesop, the the story. Maybe if you want to share the the story Aesop tells about like um, national socialist black, like racist black metal, and and yeah, again, LAC is, and then like what happened. With this them. is this is from Aesop's perspective, so I have yeah. I have no um, firsthand knowledge of this. Uh, but his perspective, having gone down to Southern California to play um, with uh, with Ludacra, but maybe with other bands that he was into. Mm-hmm. He was seeing a lot of the Latino community show up to these shows, um, but they were only ever interested in uh, like national socialist black metal bands. And if if you know if you weren't national socialist in nature, uh, then they weren't interested. And he thought that was so sad uh, that these people whose families have this this heritage this deep heritage in the americas um and and they were kind of clinging to almost like white supremacist type music and he said that you know when the black twilight circle started creating music and and changed that whole scene i mean aesop says like it it was like this group of of musicians beat racism Mm -hmm. in that place uh very cool yeah, this is one of my this is one of my favorite like accounts in the in the book, you know, like with the, with this group of musicians, like or kind of the context for it is that there is a focus on the Central Americas, like you're saying, like especially like Mayan and Aztec mythology. So, um, you know, if you want like black metal that is like as far away like from Europe as possible, and I would say even antagonistic towards like European colonialism, like this is definitely the the crew for you. Um, but at the same time, like these guys are metalheads through and through. This is not like they're not, it's, they're not coming at it from like an anti-fascist kind of like left kind of like place that we're used to seeing in the last, you know, couple of years or whatever. Like, um, these guys are very, very shrouded in their own, in their own scene. And, and, and of all the bands on our playlist today, I think it might be safe to say these guys are the kind of the cultist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, uh, it, it's cool with me if they decide to stay that way. I still, I will always be sad <laughs> whenever uh, these guys release something under somebody's name and I don't get to hear it. That's <laughs> always going to bump me out. Yeah, yeah, that happens a lot. Um, you know, I, like in terms of this album in specific, like, 
and, and, and talking about maybe about the, the those kids that are like misguided or something. I mean, like a lot of these kids probably have like, you know, presumably a cultural and genealogical link to like these pre-Columbian, like Mesoamerican civilizations, if they were like to trace their roots back to their ancestors and, and, and like how that is something that you can find power and identity in, like not just in the context of metal, but also within themselves, like being in LA in America. It's really cool. Like that's not something most bands ever get the chance to like, you know, like in, in influence. And I, and I don't, I don't know that that is the black twilight circles like intention. I think they just, from what I read, like in the little bit of interviews they've done is like, they're like actively practicing a lot of these, like, you know, indigenous traditions like themselves, like this part of their life this is how they live. That's so, right. um, so personal to them. Uh, this album in particular, I mean, this is a giant world to go down. Um, I, I think this one is, is a, real, a masterpiece. I think it's like one of the best USBM albums that's come out since its release. I just find it really fascinating to listen to because it's, it's so savage and powerful and confident. I mean, this is not your depressive like metal stuff at all. It has so much emotion running through it. Um, and it's very melancholy and reflective as well versus the usual like misanthropic kind of grim thing. I don't, I don't get that sense when I listen to this very much. And there's so many interesting choices on the recording. I mean, I don't, I don't know what you think about this, Dan, but like the guitars are super trebly. And I have read, I had a friend who see him, saw him live and said that Ed, uh, Edward Ramirez was the, the main uh, guitarist singer of this band, plays a Fender Strat, which like you don't see that in black metal. You don't even <laughs> see that in metal. <laughs> and he made, he, he was making the point. He's like tonality, like the tone of the guitar um is pretty clean with just like a very thin layer of distortion and he was saying it sounds more like i mean he was saying like that that type of that type of sound has less to do with like black metal and more to do with like dire straits or something like that that's cool and i was that's like cool. that's awesome that's awesome um but there's also like a lot of psychedelic elements in the music yes. um these tripped out kind of like effects on the vocals um it reminds me of stuff that like rest from leviathan does mm -hmm. where he'll just have these like kind of like bizarre cosmic horror kind of flourishes on like using reverb and echo and like that kind of thing <laughs> which i don't, i love that shit so much so yeah cool. yeah and i love uh when you know some of the longer songs uh, they 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 go out on this whether it's acoustic guitar or um, flute. Mm -hmm. They have these really interesting passages uh, that feel like you're in the jungle. Yeah, yeah. There's really yeah. There's really cool stuff there. Yeah, there's there's those like you know like sounds of birds and like mm -hmm. I don't know. This album takes you takes you to another place and it, it is like an ancient place and it's not. It's like a before the United States existed kind of place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, this is a this is a great rabbit hole to go down. I, I could do an episode just on these guys. Um, I'm sure um, the stuff that I would recommend from from Black Twilight Circle is like I really like those. Do you ever check out those like Rhino Serves tapes cassettes? You know, I, I I haven't been able to. I think I've heard. No, I take that back. I don't know that I've heard any of it, which really really bums me out anyway go ahead. it's tough to come by because there's not even fucking youtube rips of this stuff most of the right. time so like there literally is no place to get it um it, i like these tapes because it's 
it's related to it's just, it's what I think is a lot of the same people, but again, I can't know for sure. You have no idea who's playing on what release. You have no idea if it's a compilation. You have no idea if it's a band because it just says Rhino Surfs, and then it's like the number of the release. Right. And you just put it on, and it takes you on a journey. And it doesn't sound like the same band like from track to track. Track it kind of does sound like a compilation because there's like doom stuff. There's like heavy metal. There's black metal. There's death metal. There's like all sorts of weird punk and shit like that but um i would check out that stuff <laughs> i mean i say that as as you might find it kind of to be pretty difficult to do that um but i also recommend checking out Erismenda, a really cool really dark band very interesting uh tukaria is another really good one and then the that desert dances and serpent sermons split four-way split that they put out is it might be like the most accessible thing you can find from Black Twilight Circle, and I think that one is readily like you can find that everywhere. Cool. It's a really, really great um, four-way yeah. split. That that's yeah. a good sampler into the label. Yeah, they also I think a couple years before that one put out, I think Crepuscula Negro put out um, another compilation, and I, I'm not remembering the name, and I think it's because the name yeah is too hard for me to pronounce. Same um, here, but it, but it was a bunch of tracks uh from a bunch of the different like uh bands that they they put together um and that was also very cool yeah this is definitely like this is definitely a crew and like a family kind of kind of affair and 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 uh it's 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 really awesome what they're doing i love it um can't recommend it enough all right so the let's go ahead and listen to halahi kohoba from volant
All right. This next one is from the band Ludacra. The track is called The Undercast. It is from the 2010 album, The Tenant, once again, released by Profound Lore Records. And um, there are so many talented like metal veterans in this band, like Cobbett, Laurie, Christy, Ross, Aesop. I mean, all these people have gone on to form and like play in, in great bands. But I think for anyone who follows these individual musicians, like a lot of them always go back to Ludacra. And there's a, there's a really good reason for that. So um, well, the Ludacra chapter in the book was one, one of the best ones. It was so interesting. There was a lot of like di- interesting dynamics within the band that, that ended up coming out in a lot of the, in a lot of it. But um, I think what's most interesting about this band is just like them being from San Francisco, having a relation and an interest in black metal, but not, but also wanting to be true to themselves and real about like the shit that they were actually struggling with, which is just, you know, surviving in a in a mean like you know doggy dog kind of city so i don't, I don't know why, why is ludicra important to you um what about this and what about this album and the song i mean you, you you said it basically the the personalities involved uh and the fact that they themselves are restless musicians um trying to you know they they come from musical scenes um they dive into musical scenes when they're around um and when they are outside of music they kind of crave uh musical scenes to to get back into um so yeah i mean these people are are extraordinary people as far as man you talk about eight songs not being able to really delve into a whole scene you know, this song, we're, you and I are using this song to represent, you know, this massive, like, kind of San Francisco vibe, you know, that comes out of, these people come out of, like, a San Francisco punk scene. Uh, two of the guys, uh, John Cobbett and Aesop Decker, uh, ran a, a Tuesday night metal night for a long time um, at, a, uh, at a bar. So they were part of not just a band in a music scene, uh, but they were part of housing a music scene, giving, giving these people a place to play um, and, and get into stuff and, and a community to be a part of. So like, you know, Christy with uh, her old band Missile Command uh, that kind of came into this uh, situation. And I guess they had uh, Jessica Christ uh, who had been part of Sangre Amado, uh, who was also a big part of this scene. Um, and like you said, Laurie Sue, these people just create interesting music. And then like John and Aesop getting together and saying, okay, let's, let's do a black metal thing. And that black metal thing lasts for one record, right? And, and then they keep making records together, but they, I mean, they don't totally leave behind black metal, uh, but they just decide, you know what, we're making music together, and and yeah. whatever music comes comes out of our partnership uh, is good for this. It, it's it's interesting music, it's interesting people, and I loved watching them live. The the one time I got to see them play live was really incredible. So. Yeah, it's one of my biggest regrets was missing missing a show of theirs in Phoenix. Like they think they broke up pretty soon after. Sure. Um, because all I ever heard was just how killer this band was live you know and and i think i mentioned in in the book that you know my context for how killer they were is that they were headlining a show 
that you know tombs had just played and Kralis had just played and i after seeing those two bands i was feeling a little metal fatigue mm-hmm. um and i wasn't sure if i could keep up with another band and then ludicrous came out and just killed it and i i loved every minute of it and uh that was impressive to me yeah and i think i think part of that is because you hear so much in so many different kinds of music in Ludica. I mean, you hear black metal is there, although most, you know, I think on this album, the tenant, I mean, there's not that many black metal parts really. No. Um, this is their easily their least black metal influenced album, but you yeah. hear like punk rock, you hear a lot of classic heavy metal. I hear a lot of classic rock, nineties yep. rock, you know, knowing like Cobbett and like what he does, like, did you say in this album that this was like a very like, a lot of it was written by Cobbett, like on this one, like he was one of the principal. Yeah, that writers. was true. There was, there was, there does, it sounds like there was some imbalance in the, mm-hmm. in the writing on this record. Yeah. Versus. Yeah. And then before that, it had been a lot more collaborative. Yes. This is my favorite Ludacris album personally. I cool. love it. I think it's, I think it's one, it's one of my favorite metal albums ever made. Um, and again, it's like that, you know, there's a griminess and an ugliness in their sound that I think will scratch people's black metal itch, but the darkness is veiled in like the the cruelty of like city living and just like surviving and addiction and like all these other themes that are so central to Ludacris music. And and the other thing that's so amazing about Spain is just how locked in they are. Like <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just like yes. it's just crazy. It's like the woe, it's like the uh with woe, you know, it's just it's just so locked in, it's so it's another one of those I got to see I want to see this live kind of kind of records and this is a very moody album and it's also I've, I've seen it described as a very cinematic album and I think if you're following along with the lyrics it really it really is yeah well and I think to to experience any of Ludacris records without getting a chance to see um Ross's visuals that that he put together for each of the records uh you really miss out because I think Ross's visual aesthetic uh adds very cool things uh to what's going on with the music so you mentioned being cinematic mm-hmm. yeah I agree there's a there's a major visual aspect to this stuff yeah yeah and this album this album cover in particular it does it yeah. does not look like a metal album cover at all yeah. it <laughs> no. looks like it looks like some 70s prog rock to me that's right <laughs> But, um, you know, I, I think they, they did this like mixing of, of genres like so well, like these days you'll find black metal mixed in with every possible genre of music, like sometimes to the point of novelty, I would say. But um, Ludica were always like very tasteful, very dynamic, like very powerful band. Uh, I definitely really enjoyed reading about like how powerful they were in a live setting that seemed to be where everyone craved, like craved to see this band. So um these, this is this is another super important band in the world of, of USBM, and I think they're one of they're one of the best bands from like California Bay Area. To I think they're the right band to like represent all this stuff. Um, obviously, uh, uh, Aesop went on to join Agaloc, and he's like he's a guy who's like he's a through line and like throughout the book, you know, he gave you he gave you a lot a lot of a lot of gossip <laughs> for this one. He's he he was uh, very opinionated and verbose. Uh, and his points on lots of different topics uh, were exactly, you know, what I thought the book needed. So he was, he was a gem, absolutely. 
I can confirm this man is a gem. I don't know. I don't know him, but at Migration Fest in Olympia, I ended up at a bar after the the one of the days had let out, and he was just sitting by himself, like having some beers. And, and then me and my friend just ended up talking with him for like the next two three hours of the night. And it was just that we were just regaled the entire time. It was wonderful. That's amazing. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> He's a very charming dude. It's, I mean, that's one of the things that I love about this uh, this music scene that we find ourselves in is I, I feel like, and again, I, I'm speaking as someone who teaches teenagers. I think a lot of people think of, you know, f- famous musicians, like the musicians that you love are too famous for you to like, uh, to, to hang out with uh, and connect to. But man, in the metal scene, it's just not like that. Uh, most of the time, uh, the people that that we like, the, the musicians we like, um, are really approachable and mm-hmm. and very easy to talk to, and I find that reassuring. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like nine nine times out of ten, nine point five times out of ten, like you're, you're dealing with like the most gracious, sweet people like ever, and people who be like bust their ass on the road too. So I mean, imagine <laughs> getting. Uh, getting tortured by <laughs> all these like fans all the time and still like being gracious, like over and over and over. I mean, you know, yeah. they're all, they're only human, right? It's I, absolutely. So, so you're right. They, they have, they have, you know, reason to like, to, to shun people a little bit, <laughs> like to get, just to get a little bit of privacy, but yeah, they're, they're really cool about a lot of things. A lot yeah, of times. Yeah. So. Who knew all these black metal people were so, so such socialites. <laughs> right, <that's great>. <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's uh, go ahead and listen to the undercast from ludicra <laughs>
This next one is from a personal favorite of mine. This is Kralis. The track is called Energy Chasms. It is from the self-titled album that came out in 2008. Again, Profound Lore is at it once again. Um, there's a little bit of, uh, <laughs> they're kind of dominating for some reason, but um, they just are so important um, in this last in this last 10, 15 years of, of USBM. But also like, I think they, they at some point they left Profound Lore and, and put everything out on, on Gilead Media, right? Well, they actually were always working with Gilead Media for um, vinyl stuff. Oh, okay. Um, and I think what happened with Profound Lore was, um, you know, Profound Lore had, you know, lo- lots of different great artists to work with and to um, put records out for. And Kralis would, you know, the guys would get together and they would record some music together that they thought was really great. Um, and they wanted to put it out there. And Profound Lore was like, yeah, we want to, we want to do this for you, mm-hmm. but it's going to have to wait, you know, 12 months or, or six <laughs> months or something. And, and the guys in Kralis were like, we could do that or we could just put it out to people. And, and I, I think they realized that by then uh, they had grown their, um, their brand enough, enough people knew Kralis and were interested in buying stuff Yeah, uh, that they could, they could release um, digital music on their own um, and continue to, you know, work with Gilead on vinyl. Um, but, but I think that's, that's how that worked. Yeah. I mean, this is a band that they're like always on to the next thing all the time. Right. They're never like, never looking back. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, at this point they, they, they drop records as, as surprises, you know, yeah. like Adam, Adam from Gilead was telling me that like, yeah. Um, you know, even I'm surprised when, when they have, <laughs> you know, when they have, you know, two new records uh, and I find out like one week before everybody else finds out. <laughs> <laughs> so they're like a borderline infuriating band to work with yeah. <laughs> but again like all like you know great guys who are happy to like you know they're just they're just uh they're they're good adult people mm-hmm. they, they're they're, ha- they're they're able to work with people again yeah no totally i mean this is like a band for me they they completely shifted my, like my idea of what black metal could be i don't know did you have do you have a similar like response to them or do you see them in, in a, in a sort of like falling, falling in with, with something that came before them? So that's an interesting question because um, I'm, I'm trying to think back to when that record came out and how I was thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Which is what, had, 2008. So long ago. <laughs> uh, and, and again, so, you know, I, I'm, I guess I'm getting older at this point. So, so I'm no longer quite the, the poser that I used to be, but I still think of myself as a newcomer to all this stuff. Uh, to, so, to, to say that I was around in 2008 uh, for this record release uh, sounds kind of cool. You know, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. glad that I was uh, aware of it at the time. Um, I had already been listening to Dysrhythmia, mm. uh, Colin, one of Colin's other bands, at that point and i'm a huge fan of john zorn and the zodic label yeah so i had heard mick Barr's stuff that he had done on zodic um and i guess he had mick had also put out things on um on mike Patton's ipecac label yeah this is all his so, all his bands that start with oh yeah right exactly <laughs> exactly yes orth realm yeah. uh yeah that's right Anyway, so 
I was aware of these two guys playing really out there music. And the idea that they would get together and play a black metal record, black metal at this point being something that I had just kind of recently delved into, was really interesting to me. I think it immediately disqualified them for, for people who had already spent time with black metal. I think, I think some people were like, eh, you know, you know, experimental guitar players from New York playing black metal. Fuck those guys. Yeah. Um, but I was intrigued. I don't know that it changed my perspective on black metal, but I definitely appreciated what these guys were going to bring to the music. And I will, you know, fully cop to the fact that I'm too dumb or I was definitely too dumb to understand it at the time. I liked it. I got into it, but it's taken me years to like hear all of it and mm-hmm. really, really get into how awesome <laughs> some of that stuff really is. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I, they're like, for me, they're the band on this list where you like, I marvel the most at like the talent of the players, you know, and, and they're not a, like a million notes a minute type thing like either it's it's more so based in like the creativity of the playing like the cohesiveness of the entire sound and like they're kind of their compositional genius is like the thing that like you're saying i i still don't really think i've wrapped my mind around like what they're doing yeah it's it's not just technical playing that's you know if it was just that then it would probably suck but they're probably right. playing under their ability to be honest they're that <laughs> yeah. good yeah yeah it's it's the the compositional quality that is so incredible, the intertwining of different lines and how like, it's this barrage that is so, it's so intense. It's so difficult, so Mm -hmm. tangled up, but it's also beautiful. Like if you're willing to stick with it, there's real beauty inside that. Yeah. I agree. And there's also like one thing they're so good at is like transitioning from riff to riff like this is not just a riff salad like here's one here's one here's one we don't really know how they all go together (laughs) like it is incredibly progressive how they like stitch together these these long winding riffs and they're so good at managing tension like holding it very very tight they do that a lot and then release it like they don't release it that often but but the reason for that is because it's just gonna like fucking blow your mind when they do and and I think I read in your it was yeah I was, I was reading in your book that so they like how many tracks of guitar do they put on this thing I mean it's like oh, right 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 two they like double track each guitar like record yeah. they record oh, each guitar twice it's yeah you're right they they do like layer it up they do and it, it sounds really cool um, well and, and, and Colin has a mind that he can do this stuff like right he like he does this for other bands too yeah um and Colin's ability to to deal with multi-layered music and see how it all weaves together oh my gosh genius the, the level, genius. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so he's colin marston uh recording engineer is that what is that what he would go under yeah sure and producer and has become like really like a go-to person for yeah. in, the, in the metal world and i think even outside metal like as well as long as it's weird i think i'll pretty much do it that's right. And I'm sure he'll do plenty of just straightforward stuff or whatever. So he and, um, he and uh, Kurt from Converge get get a huge amount of business. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, the it's very. I mean, what I think he's so good at is taking these crazy technical bands that are ambitious and have so many ideas, and just having that recording be like for what you're hearing, for what is going on in the music, like pretty clear, like and discernible, like what's happening with with this first Kralis album. I mean, I think this one and maybe the next one. These are these are the records I think that are the easiest to get into okay. melodically I, I find them to be like melodic in ways that maybe yes. some of the some of the later stuff isn't so much when i i was really excited to see them live at migration fest and um they ended up playing they ended up playing nothing off of the first four albums okay. which is the stuff i was familiar with then i think they had just dropped um oh i don't remember the names but it was like their first foray into like the really technical, more death metal-y kind of stuff. Um, so that's all they played. And I think those albums probably had just come out too. So like no one was really that familiar with them. With Kalas, I'm always like the guitars are what blows me away. It blows my mind. I mean, obviously Lev's like a phenomenal, insane drummer. But then when they started playing on Migration Fest, I was just like drums the entire time. Could not <laughs> take my eyes off this guy just playing like these insane fills. And he's just so fast and just so so powerful just like one of the best one of the best drummers of metal you got to give it to him yeah yeah well and i would i would say that nick mcmaster is uh, uh uh an imposing presence on stage also yeah absolutely i mean because he's not on this first callous album right? that's right that's right he uh right this uh later callous stuff you hear his kind of deep roar yeah. Uh, for most of the vocals and on this song uh, on this whole Kralis record uh, the vocals are from Mick um, and uh, you know I, I love Mick is like he hated doing the vocals he he wanted to get get he wanted to put those aside as soon as possible yeah really just like uncomfortable as the vocalist in the band he, he just he doesn't yeah it, well it's it's more like the way he vocalizes it just it's extremely physical um, and tiring and, yeah. and, and uh, difficult for him to, to put out there. Um, because so it's, it's a, it's a, it is literally a scream. It's not yes. a, it's not when people talk about metal, they're like, why do they scream all the time? It's like, no, most metal vocalists are not screaming. They're doing their projected like thing. Like th this guy is screaming. Yes. <laughs> you know, that's right. And, and actually, I would say that's one of the things that makes this first record special to me is his vocals because they don't show up much after this. Yeah. Yeah. Instead, you get um, you get Nick, uh, Nick's vocals and they're very, like you're saying, very, very, I mean, when I first heard them, I was like, it reminded me of um, uh, uh, Dave, uh, Dave from Neurosis. Yes. There you go. There you and go. then, you know, they ended up doing an album with the dude. <laughs> yeah. I, man, I was so happy to hear that record because, uh, you know, I guess I don't think about it that much. Uh, with, with Neurosis, I think of them having these two vocalists. Uh, but yeah, early Neurosis had a lot of Dave on them. Uh, and, and to hear him on a metal record again, it's pretty great. Yeah, yeah, especially something that, that extreme because that's, yeah. that's them just going ballistic, really. Yeah. Yeah, so like I think you know, Kralis, like they really ventured out after this album. I don't know, like it's it's hard to recommend like a, an album to get into, but I do feel this one is maybe the closely connected to Black Metal. This this track, Energy Chasms, it's a little bit later. 
in the in the album and it's it's just it's always been one of my favorites from them it's 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 actually like i find it to be an extremely like it's extremely melodic track like it's got those winding guitars that are kind of tough to like make sense of in the beginning but i mean this this stuff really really pays off like in a very direct way um, there's this there's this terrible so i sorry i think it's terrible subgenre of uh symphonic black metal uh, which i kind of hate uh but this song and kralis in general it's it's like they're creating a black metal symphony mm-hmm. uh there are not symphonic elements but it it sounds like something you would you would sit in a concert hall and hear these elements happening from a full orchestra and it's just these like four guys. <laughs> I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think liturgy on in some way is also like in that in that world as well. It's a yeah. very it's this very orchestrated sound. Although I think they're obviously coming at it more from the avant garde than maybe Kralis is. Sure. But yeah. Super interesting band. Um, still going strong today. And again, like very tenuous relationship to black metal. Um, <laughs> that seems to be the the theme of of USBF <laughs> in this era, anyway. That's true. Yeah. All right. So let's listen to uh, Energy Chasms by Kralis.
Plus one. We did this. Bullshit. We have arrived at the final track here. This is uh, Predatory Light. The track is called Bathed in Tongues. This is from the split between Predatory Light and Vord. How familiar w- were you with this one? Uh, is I was is, is this new to you? Is this uh, Yeah, you introduced familiar? me to it. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. Uh, nice. I loved it. I loved it from the moment I started listening to it. It's great. Yeah. So this came out in 2015. It's a, it's a split um, with the band Vord. It was put out by Psychic Violence Records. Um, I think it's kind of hard to dig up info on, on this stuff, but I think they're a New Mexico band. And they they seem to belong to like a, a, a tight-knit group of musicians that I think are they're kind of a crew unto themselves, but you don't really read or see much about about them like personally they're a little bit i don't know just like either under exposed or or just kind of like back away or prefer to remain largely anonymous so i don't think there's a name for this crew or anything like that but it's basically comprised of 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 mostly like black metal musicians and multi-instrumentalists who are in so many good bands like ashbor uh uh, venom superstition uh fell voices ruin lust uh, Vilcacus, like um, there's also connections uh, with some of these musicians to uh, bands like Yellow Eyes and Sanguine Eagle. Um, so uh, this stuff definitely like runs into some of the uh, Gilead media roster from what I can see. Well, and those bands have a connection to, uh, there's a group, if you're talking about these, these self-contained groups, uh, there's a, a group uh, by the, the name House of First Light. Oh, yeah. Uh, which also includes some of these some of these people. Okay, so is, is it an overlap, or is that or is that who I'm talking? It sounds about like there's now. an overlap. Sanguine Eagle and um, Yellow Eyes have these connections um, to House of First Light. Yeah. Okay, yeah, and I think it's like you know regionally, like it's people in New York, people yeah. in Southwest here in New Mexico, I think, okay. and then also in the Northwest as well. Okay, and I think they're just play they're just like form bands and play on each other's projects quite a bit and i don't know who like the people are themselves i don't know do you have any do you have, do you have any like thing i've seen some like live videos and there's this there's this guy who's usually playing drums and he's like always has a shirt off i don't know his name but he's yeah, in like, yeah, all yeah. of these so, bands there's a there's a there is a drummer relationship that's true yeah and he's in a lot of these bands and I don't, I don't know if he's like one of the principal people or anything yeah. like that but this guy is like one of the f- most fucking fun drummers to watch play live because he's just plays with a ferocity that I, I, I don't know. It kind of puts everyone else to shame. I don't know but, if you have, have you ever seen him play or like seen any of them? I, I haven't. I oh, haven't it's crazy. Yet. I'll send, I'll send you a video or two after this. Very cool. Yeah. Just the way, the way this dude blasts is just, I, I don't, I've never seen anything like it. And you, you and I have seen our share of blasting. Yeah. So you mentioned, you mentioned the, the coda of the book earlier. Um, and one of the things I love is that I, I got to feature a guy uh, who I know who is a drummer. Mm. Uh, and yeah, watching him play uh, is so much fun. So I, I hear what you're saying. I'm, I'm clearly talking about somebody else at this point. But but yeah, <laughs> w- watching a, a an incredible black metal drummer is is huge. Yeah. I mean, especially when they're like doing the thing where they're playing a blast beat for like upwards to five, six, seven minutes. And you're just like, how are you still going? You didn't yeah. even get a break. You didn't even get a fill. You didn't get anything. That's right. And that's, that's one thing that we didn't really talk about much because I don't think the music really 
uh, you know, waded into it. But there's this thing with atmospheric black metal and American bands where they'll use like black, like blast beats that go on for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes is just, it stops almost stops being drums at that point And is just like a, a weird ambient kind of wash. Yes. Kind of thing. A, it's, a, it's a texture more than a, more than a tempo. Sure. Yeah. I think, I think, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, I'm not saying like the U S bands like invented that, but I've heard a lot more often than not when I'm hearing that it's like an, it's a U.S. band. Yeah. But the, you know, this track, is, this track is not really that this track is like, it's this very disorienting, um, very like the guitar tone is very distinctive. It's murky and gloomy. It reminds me a lot of like traditional black metal in a lot of ways, but like with that death rock kind of like filter on it. When I, when I was listening to it, I was thinking this like is super evil. It, it sounds, yeah. it, it sounds like some European stuff to yeah. me. Yeah. 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 I think so. And um, you know, it's like this, it, it is, it does have an, an, in one case, it's like this filthy side of like black metal that I think has that European influence. But I also hear a lot of doom in this stuff, especially like very dark funeral doom. And I think this is a good way to show how much doom has gotten tangled up in black metal, in the, especially in the US. And think of like the doomy parts on like Dead as Dreams, you know, like that yep. fir- the first track, Cut Their Grain and Place in the Fire. You know, bands like Ruins of Beverast or <gasps> Wolves in the Throne Room. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that band. Ruins, you mean, or, or, or Wolves? Well, I was talking about Ruins of Beverast. Yeah, your Ruins of Beverast is huge for me. Yeah, yeah, love them, love them, love them. Yeah, False even like there's there's yeah. the doomy parts in, in in black metal, and and I guess Mayhem did did this too. You know what I mean? Like it's just not this is not American invented, but then on the other hand. And we talked about this a little bit. You know, the American doomy stuff like like hell, like thou and and stuff like that, that does incorporate some of this nastiness of black metal into like their sludgy things. So there's a lot of this like we're black metal, but we do doom, we're doom, but like we're blackened and and that kind of thing. Yeah. Doom if if there is a home for me and my ears, uh other than black metal, it, it is doom. Okay. So, so whenever I can hear some good doom in my black metal, I, I'm in the best place ever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people that are like, if you go through Bandcamp, they're like, oh, awesome black metal with the best doom parts, you know, <laughs> or the other way around, where it's like they're primarily uh, this kind of band, but you're like praising them more for this other thing they do. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so, which, like, I'm sure you wouldn't want them to be a purely a doom band. You just like it when they. Do, when they do the doom parts you like it because it's sparing yeah, that's right yeah so but the, like this band predatory like i love i love the split i think it's amazing um this reminds me of like a little bit like later celtic frost kind of thing it has that like icy guitar that uh that I, I i you know i think i think it has like that christian death kind of influence on like the tone of it um which is very american but I love so much of the stuff in this crew of artists and musicians. I think I think they're a bit overlooked in the context of USBM, but um, 
I think bands like Yellow Eyes and Venom are are definitely like breaking out a bit as well. Yeah, this this sound is amazing. Uh, Predatory Lighters, you know that that that's a band I want to keep digging into. Uh, I think I think that combination of the low end like harshness of the 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 vocals and and some other elements uh, with the mid to high guitar mm-hmm. uh, is I, it it provides like everything I want in really evil music. Yeah. And, and admit you're right. It makes it sound so, so much more evil. Yeah. And then that's, this is probably the, the most evil of the, of the tracks we're going to hear. And, um, and you, you had also mentioned that it, there's a connection sonically, a connection to uh, uh, a band like negative plane. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Which, which I totally agree with when I, when I heard it, I was like, yeah, yeah, that I, I hear that. And, and negative plane is something that I definitely have spent a lot of time with. So. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I remember that, that record was, was big when it came out. I mean, this was the, this was a time where like, I think pitchfork was getting really <laughs> yeah. into black metal. Well, it was like Brandon, right. The, the writer over yeah, there at pitchfork right. was like a big black metal guy and kind of like forcing it through. Yeah, that's right. And that's where you got like, you'd see like best new musics for stuff like, like in this, in this realm. I mean, I don't think anything that we're talking about, but I think like wolves in the throne room, at least like, yeah, sure. And that's going to, that's just going to catapult a band, whether regardless of what you think about pitchfork or whatever, it's just going to like, that's going to thrust the genre into like something. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> part of what, it's part of what happened to death heaven. Right. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, Shit, Daniel, uh, we made it to the end. <laughs> I, I usually like to go out on on the last track of the playlist, so um, we'll close yeah. things out with this uh, with this predatory light track. But um, you know, dang, these were some very epic tracks that we threw at the audience today. I hope they got through all of them. Uh, I love all these songs, and I would love to uh, to to know that other people are as into this stuff as I am. Yeah. Yeah, and and if you haven't checked out the book, if you're interested, like please pick it up. It is it is it could this could be a cool little like uh, a segue into into getting more into USBM and then kind of learning more about it. Um, but yeah, I, I really want to just thank you again for your time, like for your dedication. Like thanks for writing this book. It fucking rules. This is like the book I I never thought like would exist, but like does um so you know once again that book is usbm a revolution of identity in american black metal um people can pick it up at the decibel store so go to decibel.com yeah decibelmagazine.com that's right there you go and people can follow your writing there as well are you are you active on social or are you uh Uh, sure so there there is a a usbm facebook page there's a, a usbm the book um uh instagram account so yeah that that's out there but that's all uh, stuff yeah. that's run by you yeah that's that's unfortunately that's true yeah i'm 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 not i'm not great at the social media thing but oh no i didn't know i thought maybe like someone else created it you know yeah. something that happens where they're like oh this person i like i love what they do but they're not online so i'm gonna like presume <laughs> presume yeah. the, you know it's all me <laughs> do the work for them awesome that's even better yeah. okay well well thanks again like this was awesome we're going to go out on that, on that track, Bathe in Tongues by the band Predatory Light. And I, I think closing it out on a, a murky, grim note is probably appropriate. Totally. This is, this is the great song to do that with. Absolutely. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, um, you know, thanks again. I uh, appreciate you coming on the podcast.
Thank you, Jamil. This has been a great time.